Um, got one in your hands or your phone or the service sheet. And we're in Exodus chapter 4. I should introduce myself as well. I'm Zach. I uh, work for church. I'm a trainee minister. Um, minister at church. Uh, do, do you look at Exodus chapter 4? And let me pray for us as we come to God's word this morning. Um, Our our Father, thank you that uh, even though you do not need us, you're not a needy God, uh, you stoop down and meet with us through your words. Thank you that you come to us uh, through uh, your word, the Bible. We pray you come to us this morning uh, through Exodus 4. Show us our hearts, show us our sin, uh, show us what Christ is like and how he meets us uh, in our weakness, we pray. We pray you'd give us your spirit so that we see and understand and so are transformed. We praise things for Jesus' sake and for his glory. Amen. Chapter 4, verse 1. Then Moses answered, But behold, they will not believe me or listen to my voice, for they will say, The Lord did not appear to you. And the Lord said to him, What is that in your hand? He said, a staff. And he said, throw it on the ground. So he threw it on the ground, and it became a serpent, and Moses ran from it. But the Lord said to Moses, put out your hand and catch it by the tail. So he put out his hand and caught it, and it became a staff in his hand, that they may believe that the Lord, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has appeared to you. Again, the Lord said to him, put your hand inside your cloak, And he put his hand inside his cloak, and when he took it out, behold, his hand was leprous, like snow. Then God said, put your hand back inside your cloak. So he put his hand back inside his cloak, and when he took it out, behold, it was restored like the rest of his flesh. If they will not believe you, God said, or listen to the first sign, they may believe the latter sign. Or if they will not believe even these two signs, or listen to your voice, you shall take some water from the Nile and pour it on the dry ground." And the water that you shall take from the Nile will become blood on the dry ground. But Moses said to the Lord, Oh, my Lord, I'm not eloquent, either in the past or since you have spoken to your servant, but I am slow of speech and of tongue. Then the Lord said to him, Who has made man's mouth? Who makes him mute or deaf or seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now therefore go, and I will be with your mouth and teach you what you shall speak. But he said, Oh my Lord, please send someone else. Then the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses, and he said, Is there not Aaron, your brother, the Levite? I know that he can speak well. Behold, he is coming out to meet you, and when he sees you, he'll be glad in his heart. You shall speak to him, and put the words in his mouth, and I'll be with your mouth and with, and with his mouth, and will teach you both what to do. And he shall speak for you to the people, and he shall be your mouth, and you shall be as God to him. And take in your hand this staff which you shall do, uh, with which you shall do the signs. Moses went back to Jethro, his father-in-law, and said to him, Please let me go back to my brothers in Egypt to see whether they are still alive. And Jethro said to Moses, Go in peace. And the Lord said to Moses and Midian, Go back to Egypt, for all the men who are seeking your life are dead. So Moses took his wife and his sons and uh, had them ride on a donkey and went back to the land of Egypt. And Moses took the staff of God in his hand. And the Lord said to Moses, 
When you go back to Egypt, see that you do before Pharaoh all the miracles that I put in your power. But I will harden his heart so that he will not let the people go. Then you shall say to Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord, Israel is my firstborn son. And I say to you, let my son go, that he may serve me. If you refuse to let him go, behold, I will kill your firstborn son. And at a lodging place on the way, the Lord met him and sought to put him to death. Then Zipporah took a flint and cut off her son's foreskin and touched Moses' feet with it and said, Surely you are a bridegroom of blood to me. And so he let him alone. It was then that she said, A bridegroom of blood because of the circumcision. The Lord said to Aaron, Go into the wilderness to meet Moses. So he went and met him at the mountain of God and kissed him. And Moses told Aaron all the words of the Lord with which he had sent him to speak and all the signs they had commanded him to do. Then Moses and Aaron went and gathered together all the elders of the people of Israel. Aaron spoke all the words that the Lord had spoken to Moses and did the signs in the sight of the people. And the people believed. And when they heard the Lord had visited the people of Israel and that he had seen their affliction, they bowed their heads and worshipped. Well, God is initiating his uh, plan to rescue his people. And it feels a little bit to me, I don't know if you see this, it feels a little bit to me like the beginning of the book, The Hobbit. Uh, at the beginning of the book, uh, Gandalf the Grey, uh, the wizard comes to Bilbo Baggins and sitting outside his lovely warm home. And Gandalf says to Bilbo, I'm looking for someone to share an adventure that I'm arranging. And it's very difficult to find anyone. And how does Bilbo respond to Gandalf? Uh, he says, I should think so. I should think it's hard. I have no use for adventures. Nasty, disturbing, uncomfortable things. They make you late for dinner. And after pause, he, say, pause, he says, uh, good morning. We don't want any adventures, thank you. Please try somewhere else. And now, it wouldn't be hard to put Bilbo's words on the lips of Moses this morning. No, thank you, God. Verse 13, no, thank you, God. Please send someone else. I'm happy in Midian. I've settled down. I've got two kids. I've got a wife. I'm 80 years old. I'm not a young man anymore. Uh, No adventures, thank you. Please send someone else. Uh, So far in Exodus, we've seen mostly good things about Moses. Uh, We've seen him look like Jesus in chapter 2. He is a saviour figure. He is a rescuing figure. Uh, But here... This morning, uh, we see quite a different side to him, don't we? The first thing to think about this morning, first thing for us to think about, is that Moses reveals to us a painfully human heart. Moses reveals to us a painfully human heart. In in chapter 3, we've had, if you like, God's manifesto. A manifesto, if you don't know what that is, is what a party puts forward with all their, their policies before uh, an election, uh, and in it, uh, it's what, it's they, they publicly declare uh, what they're going to do if they come to power. And like that, God has publicly declared to Moses what he intends and what he will do through Moses. Uh, a bit like a party's manifesto, party's policy. Uh, it reveals something about God as well. That's what we've been thinking about over the last two weeks. It reveals uh, his character, what he's concerned about. Uh, he's a God who, who cares uh, for the Israelites. He's seen their affliction. He's heard their suffering. 
and he won't stand by. He's a God who's committed to them. Verse 17, he says, I promise, I promise I'll bring you up out of the land of Egypt. Uh, he's a God who's intent on blessing his people who are enslaved, of rescuing them and bringing them into the land of milk and honey, of uh, giving them even the plunder of their enemies, their gold and their silver, their clothing and their jewellery. How does Moses respond? Then Moses, verse 1, then Moses what? Then Moses worshipped? That's how he should respond. That's how the Israelites respond. Uh, when Moses brings a message to them, Moses and Aaron, they, they bow their heads and worship. But Moses doesn't worship, no, he doubts. Verse 1, he answered, Behold, they will not believe me or listen to my voice, despite God saying, uh, verse 18, that they will, emphatically will listen to your voice. Moses says, no, they won't. They won't believe me, they won't listen to me. Uh, later on, uh, he goes on after, after God, if you like, deals that complaint, we'll come to that later, but he goes on in verse 10, I'm not eloquent, I can't speak, I'm too weak. Uh, you can tell, Lord, as I've been speaking to you, even now, as I've spoken to you, you can see that I'm slow of speech and of tongue. Uh, it's worth saying that there's genuine doubt here, there's genuine fear over his own weakness to do what God calls him to do, it's perhaps because he's, he's been burned already. He's tried to be a saviour already in chapter 2 to rescue an Israelite, and the Israelites rejected him as their saviour. And we'll consider God's response to those two complaints uh, a little bit later on. Uh, but we just want to move on to verse 13, where we meet the crux of Moses' problem. And he says, O oh Lord, please send someone else. If you like, the first two complaints, the complaint that they won't listen to him and that his voice isn't strong enough, they're just masks, aren't they? They're just masks for this outright unwillingness to do what God commands him to do. What do you hear? God says, go down and rescue my people that I love. And Moses says, I just don't want to. I just don't want to. And Moses' response painfully exposes our sinful hearts. Now, it's true. We want to be careful when comparing ourselves to Moses. He is a Jesus figure. In fact, he's probably one of the clearest Jesus figures in the whole of the Old Testament. Uh, he's a saviour figure. Uh, unlike Moses, we haven't had a burning bush experience. Uh, but the striking thing uh, about, uh, well, all the Jesus figures in the Old Testament, but particularly Moses is the way he looks like Jesus and yet uh, falls so far short of his standards and yet is so flawed. Moses is a saviour figure in the Exodus story, but he is also a sinful figure. He is like us, and in his sin we see ourselves. A heart that says in response to God, I just don't want to. It's a bit like Eustace in The Voyage of the Dawn Treader, one of C.S. Lewis's Narnia novels. Uh, Eustace, an unpleasant character, a greedy, selfish character. About halfway through the book, he sleeps in the dragon's cave and turns into a dragon. 
and runs down to the, the edge of a lake and peers into the lake. And from the lake, he sees staring back at him a dragon's face. And it's in that moment, I think, when men think, Cicero's point is, it's in that moment uh, that he sees what he's truly like, selfish, greedy, dragony nature, staring back at him. He, he's externally become what he was already internally. And so when we look at Moses this morning in our passage, the Moses, he says, I just don't want to. We look at him with pain. We look at him with pain because we see our faces staring back at us. A sinful heart that says, I just don't want to. God comes to us, he calls to us, he comes to us as way, and we respond, I just don't care. I just don't want to do that. I just don't believe that promise. It's true of people before they come to Christ. It's worth saying, if you're watching this morning, or if you're here this morning, and you're not yet a follower of Jesus, God calls to us freely in the gospel. He says, come, come and eat without cost, without money. Come and drink of Christ for free. I will bless you. And the whole of humanity responds, I just don't want to. It's worth saying, if, if you don't follow Christ yet, do, do you recognize that the root of whatever excuse there might be, whatever mask like Moses you might put up? At the root, there is the heart desire that I just don't want to, Lord. Even as Christians, this is true of us. I wonder what sin you struggle with. I don't know your intimate sins that you struggle with day to day, year by year, that you, that you struggle to put to death. And it's a real battle. But what's one of the problems? Why is it still there, that thing you struggle with? Well, at least one answer is, I just don't want to. I like it too much to get rid of it. The same with God's call to, to love our neighbours, to devote ourselves to church fellowship, to, to pray on our knees, to depend on him, to pray about ceasing. I just don't want to do that. I just don't want to. I'm not gifted enough, or I don't have the time, or I'm, I'm too busy, or I'm too tired. I couldn't possibly sacrifice that, Lord. I don't have the resources to do what you call me to do. I just don't want to. Do you see yourselves here? We sometimes think that if we were Moses, if we were on the, on the mountain, the burning bush, and God calls us, we'd say, here I am, I'm ready to go. I'm willing. But do you really believe that about your heart? No, that's true. It's true that the Spirit comes and changes us as Christians so that our desires are changed. We do have genuine willingness through the Spirit's regenerating work in us to follow and obey Christ. That's his work in us and doesn't flow naturally from us as sinful human beings. Only once he's come to us and changed us. You recognise the war within you. A part of you does not want Christ. How, how does God respond? How does God respond in Exodus to Moses? Well, God stoops down to Moses in his weakness. 
He stoops down to us in our sin and in our weakness. Uh, part of what we'd expect to happen to Moses, knowing who God is, the holy, blameless God, we'd expect Moses to be struck down, wouldn't we? We'd expect punishment to be lashed down upon him for his unwilling disobedience. But no, uh, he stoops down uh, in grace. It was, it was remarkable, actually. He stoops down to Moses' own self-assessment of him, of himself. So it says, says they're not going to believe me, Lord. And so God gives him these signs in verses 2 to 9 uh, to, to strengthen him. Now, it's worth spending a few moments just on these signs. Signs, um, swift, say, signs signify things. They, they point towards something. Uh, so children, if your children, if your parents uh, said, uh, next week we're going to uh, Disneyland. Uh, we're going to go to Disneyland and it's going to be great. We're going to have a great day. Um, you might think they're telling the truth or you might think they were joking about uh, being silly. Um, but if they then produced uh, tickets that they'd paid for already uh, and said, look, here are the Disneyland tickets and here are the flight tickets, we're going, uh, what would that do? Well, it would be a sign that their words were true. It would be a sign that what they said was uh, worth believing. Uh, and something similar is going on with these signs. That, that if you like, their the faith strengtheners, their belief strengtheners. We, we tend to think of them as primarily for Pharaoh, don't we, when we think of the Exodus story, the sign of the, the staff being cast down and being turned to a snake, the leprous hand and, and the Nile water being poured out. We usually think of them as primarily for Pharaoh, and, and they are for Pharaoh. Uh, it says that later on in the passage, do these wonders before Pharaoh. And he does, he does, at least it records him doing the snake one before Pharaoh. But actually, uh, they're primarily not for Pharaoh, but for Moses and for the Israelites. God gives them to him so that, verse 5, they might believe. Primarily for Moses. Now, now why do they strengthen Moses' faith? Well, for several reasons. Uh, They're a sign of God's power over Egypt. So if, if you remember, the snake is, if you like, Pharaoh's symbol. He probably wore a snake on his head. That's what his crown would have looked like. Uh, the Nile was just a source of fertility, um, source of life for Egyptians. And so both sides are taking what uh, the Egyptians hold as their sources of power, their symbols of sovereignty, and saying, look, God, God is saying, look, I, I have strength over these things. Uh, uh, and also, uh, a bit more deeply than that, they're signed to Moses that God is powerful to work through his weakness. Uh, so with the, um, with the stick, for example, he says, what do you have in your hand, in verse 2? Uh, a staff, Moses says. Uh, this isn't some amazing staff. This is a shepherd's staff that Moses would have been carrying as he shepherded the, shepherded the sheep as he came to the uh, mountain where God spoke to him. This is a, a, an ordinary Staff, nothing special, and yet it becomes uh, God's tool of power throughout Exodus. Again and again, it's the staff, this shepherd's crook, if you like, uh, that God uses. God is strong enough to work through what is what looks entirely ordinary. And then with the leprosy as well, it's a bit of a funny one. God co- commands Moses to take his hand and put it inside his cloak. Uh, but actually, the word there isn't really cloak, it's bosom. It's almost like, put your hand inside yourself, into your 
into your being. And what does Moses draw out? He draws out a, a leprous hand, a leprosy, a symbol of uncleanness, a symbol of weakness, of disease. I think it's a sign to Moses that God is saying, yes, you are weak. You are unclean. But I can use you. Put your hand back inside and he does and he takes it out and it's clean. Even though you're weak, I can use you. And he stoops down to Moses' self-assessment of himself. Moses thinks he's weak for Moses. So God says, don't worry, I'm strong. Same thing in verse 10 and 11, where Moses says, I can't speak, I'm not eloquent enough. Uh, genuine fear there. God, God reassures them, doesn't he? Uh, you may be weak, Moses. Your voice may stutter. Uh, but I am strong. It's not about your weakness, but about my power. And even when Moses outrightly refuses to do it, verse 13, send someone else. And God's anger is rightly kindled. God doesn't strike Moses down on the spot, does he? He doesn't destroy him. Even though he's angry, he provides Aaron for him to go with him, to be his supporter, uh, to come alongside him. And in other places and in the rest of the story, God is kind to uh, Moses. Uh, he clears the way uh, in, in verse 19. He says, go back, all the men are dead. You don't have to worry about them anymore. In verse 27, he brings Aaron to Moses. Even in the verses where, where we'll come at the end to, but even the verses where he seeks to put him to death, he gives time for Moses to repent, or for Zippah to save him, or whatever's going on there. Even though Moses probably deserves death straight out, God is kind. He's long-suffering, isn't he? That's our God. He's patient. He stoops down and meets us in our sin uh, and in our weakness. Even today, as Christians, he gives us faith strengtheners. I wonder if you ever think about the various things we have in the Christian life as faith strengtheners. That's what they are. And the most obvious two would be baptism and communion, the signs, the sacraments of the Christian faith. that They're given to us to strengthen our faith, to feed us. And again, that's one reason why we should feel weaker as Christians, because we're not being fed by those signs. But even the Bible's in our hands. God's word written for us. The fellowship of the Christian church. What are they? Well, they're faith strengtheners. They're God stooping down to us because we are weak and meeting us. And yet with these signs, with these things, how often do we respond I don't care, or I'm not going to reach out and grasp that. I just don't want to, Lord. I don't want to believe. I don't want to do what you call me to do. And still, God is patient with us. Still, uh, he was patient with Moses here. And with the Israelites later on in the desert, when they complain and grumble, he's still patient with them. Why? Why is he so kind? Well, we get something of the answer in verse 21 to 23. Let me just read them for us. Verse 21 to 23. And the Lord said to Moses, when you go back to Egypt, see that you do before Pharaoh all the miracles that are put into your power. 
but I will harden his heart so he will not let the people go. Then you shall say to Pharaoh, thus says the Lord, Israel is my firstborn son. I say to you, let my son go that he may serve me. If you refuse to let him go, go, behold, I will kill your firstborn son. Israel is my firstborn son, he says. Just side note on God hardening Pharaoh's heart, God bringing judgment on Egypt. First thing to say, we often try and sympathise with Pharaoh. I don't know why we do that. Pharaoh is the man who's enslaved Israel. He's the man who's killed baby boys. And so God says to him, you're killing my son, I'll kill your son. His judgment is just. We will deal with God hardening Pharaoh's heart later on in the Exodus series because it comes up more than once. But for now, here that God calls Israel his firstborn son. This will be the first time in his revelation that he's done that. It should shock us. All the way through Genesis, he's, he's been the creator God, the God who is holy, the God who is judge. And yet he's the God who has set his love upon these people. And he rescues them, not because they are strong, not because they are faithful, but because he has set his love on them. But there is a problem, isn't there? There's a problem that God loves, and so with the Israelites, he passes over their sin. Uh, he stoops down to them uh, in their weakness with Moses, with us as well. He passes over our sin. He forgives our sin. But God cannot for all eternity pass over the sin of his people, over the unfaithfulness of his people. His love and his justice are not at war where one is trying to triumph over the other. They're not at arm wrestle. They must both be satisfied. So what will he do? What will God do who who, who loves Israel like a firstborn son? Well, our third point this morning. What will he do? Well, he will come himself. He will come himself. You can imagine God saying, whom will I send? Who will go and rescue this people that I love? Who will uh, love them as I do? And Moses says, not me. Please, Lord, not me. But there is one who says, behold, I have come to do your will, O God. And he is the Lord Jesus. He says in Hebrews 10, verse 7, a body you prepared for me. I've come to do your will, O Lord. Send me, Father. Send me. Do you think God had to cajole and bargain with his son? Do you think God had to persuade the Lord Jesus to come down to earth and rescue us? Do you think he had to have his back and forth argument like he did with Moses uh, to convince convinced Jesus to come and save us? Do you think Jesus wavered in fear and doubt like Moses did? No, he said, behold, I've come to do your will, O Lord. The Lord Jesus is the one who loves us like his father loves us. He is the one who is, oh, he's one with God. So he shares his father's commitment to us. Uh, Ultimately, 
Uh, it's the way that God ultimately uh, stoops down to us in our weakness to come himself in the person of Christ. And it's his willingness that sets him apart as worthy to be our saviour. We come finally to these rather confusing verses, verses 24 to 26. Uh, confusing and bizarre. It doesn't feel like we've been prepared well for them uh, leading up to them. Uh, verses which spawn a, a, a hundred questions and a thousand interpretations. Why is God seeking to put Moses to death, the man he's just set aside to go and save Israel? Is it because he, of his stubborn, unwilling heart? Maybe. Is it because his son isn't circumcised? Possibly. I think that's the more likely one, but I'm not quite sure. Um, why wasn't his son circumcised? For example, Moses' son, why, why wasn't Moses' son circumcised? Was it because Moses feared the Midianites, feared his father-in-law, or just forgot? Don't know. There's all sorts of questions I don't have the answers to in these verses. But I can say this. That the blood of his son's circumcision saves Moses. You get that in 26. God lets him alone because Zipporah said, you are a bridegroom of blood to me. I don't know how often you think about circumcision, but at the very least, uh, it's, it's painful. Blood uh, is spilt when a Jewish man gets circumcised. And that seems to be significant, doesn't it? What does it point to? Well, I think it points in this in Exodus to the Passover, where they slaughter the lamb and they touch the blood to the doorframe. Did you get that in the passage? Zippa took the, took the foreskin and touched Moses' feet. And the blood of the lamb is touched to the, to the doorframe to save the Israelites from uh, the angel of the Lord coming to destroy them. Uh, but, as we know, the blood of the circumcision and the blood of the lamb can do nothing to save Moses could do nothing to save the Israelites. Whose blood are we looking at? Whose blood is saving them? Well, you know the answer. The answer is Christ. His blood saves us. And it's because Jesus says, unlike Moses, I have come to do your will, O Lord, the one who knew no sin, who was perfectly obedient to the Father's will. He took the cup and drank it, down, down to the dregs for us. He is the remedy to the voice in us that says, I just don't want to. Moses can never be our saviour because Moses was part of the problem. He was like us. But Jesus, he was a perfect man. In Gethsemane, as he sweated before the cross, what did he say? Not my will, but yours be done. He is a man who could save us because he is obedient. It's his obedience. It's his obedience that makes him worthy and able to pay for our disobedience. So how do I come before God? How do I come and approach him as a Christian? Well, I don't come looking at my heart, looking at my flawed, fallen, broken, sinful heart. No, I come claiming Christ's blood that saves me, knowing that I failed and will fail, weeping over my weakness, wretched, 
and my unwillingness to live for God. I come with no deed, no merit, nothing in my hands. And that is the glory of the gospel, that I can come. Despite having done nothing to earn it. The glory of the Exodus story, that God does stoop down to rescue his people, despite who they are. How can I come? Well, only because the land's righteous, obedient, willing blood saves me. Let's bow our heads and pray. Father, teach us to know our hearts, to know that we are like Moses, wretched and unwilling to serve you unless your spirit comes to us and to change us. Thank you for Christ that as we as he died, he shed his blood for us so that we can come into your presence covered by his willingness, covered by his obedience. So pray we live in light of that this week. In Jesus' name, amen.